This is you and your body with Katie Asari. Let's shed the stigma, move through the awkwardness, and get a bit uncomfortable together. Let's talk about our bodies. Thank you so much for listening. feels good to be back and and check into this space. So uh, we took a little hiatus, or I took a hiatus, uh, for the holidays, and then I was planning to return last week, but to be honest, with everything happening politically, I was a bit distracted. So uh, here we are. I'm so happy to be back uh, producing this podcast and just checking in with you all. How have you been? Hope you've been doing well. Um... I got to have two whole weeks off. I'm a high school teacher, and that was felt pretty special. And, uh, yeah, I'm back into the swing of things, back into, into quote-unquote real life. Although in the pandemic, who knows what real life is. But um, I did take a pretty big leap uh, in terms of my body um, in the last bit. And I, um, I have Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune hypothyroidism, basically. So my thyroid is under-functioning, and then the Hashimoto's um, is the part that is autoimmune, so that my body attacks my thyroid. Um, and it makes it really difficult to uh, produce, like, even levels of hormones because I ingest medical hormone, right? Like, I take a pill that contains the hormones that my body has been producing. Um, but it's pretty hard to regulate, um, just because, yeah, because it's the autoimmune version. And, um, there's this diet called the autoimmune protocol, this elimination diet to try and help you figure out, uh, what foods are triggering your autoimmune and boy, howdy. So I started it January 4th. It's now what? January 14th. So I've successfully completed 10 days and, uh, it's not easy. That's for sure. It's been a weird experience with my body. Like, I've never cared so much or thought so much about my poop, (laughs) about the frequency of my poop, about the texture of my poop, the experience of my digestion. Good God. I've never been so in touch with that. But, you know, um, I decided that for me, I want to spend part of this quarantine time investing in my health. And, uh... There's never going to be a better time for me to have to eat really weird food and um, prepare all my own meals than now because I'm not in the staff room tempted by pastries every day. I'm not in my classroom where kids so sweetly offer me Takis and candy, which normally I'll take a Taki. I love Takis, but um, I'm really trying to prioritize my health this year. So I'm wondering uh, just how you all are doing with with the New Year stuff, because I also know, while this is something I'm undertaking for my health, I also know there's a lot of weird pressure in January to be quote-unquote healthier or to eat differently or to move your body differently, and I hate the ways that it can sometimes trigger us into some shame. Even for me, I'll be honest, this diet, I'm having to be really cautious and aware of my mental space. And just notice, like, are you creating these fantasies about losing weight that somehow weight loss would fix other things that you're not happy with? Are you 
feeling ashamed of your body as it was before you started this? Are you sticking with this diet because you want to look different or is it really about wanting to feel different? And you know, I can't answer those questions for sure. But I know that for one of the first times in my life, I'm trying really, really hard to actually make it about how I feel. To stop myself when I get into the fantasies of how many pounds I could lose by when or how I'll look different. And instead, really try to redirect my attention to love my body exactly how it is and to say that it is about how it feels, not how it looks. But man... This experience is definitely triggering me back into some of those unhealthy mental patterns that I've held for so long. And sure, I've dieted before. I can lose weight. But what I've had a hard time getting rid of is the shame around my body. And that's what really negatively affects me, I believe, even more than any weight gain. So just know if you're struggling in this moment of like, do it up January, lose the quarantine 15 or whatever, you're not alone. And I will admit that I've chosen to also stay off social media personally. So for the podcast, I'll pop on. Um, but I've been off of my personal Instagram account. And uh, I think that was a part, uh, a conscious choice to try and really help myself focus on my health and try and get rid of the comparison. And I didn't need to see that January, I don't know, change your body, change your life kind of vibe. So just know if, if it's been a challenging month, you're not alone. And I'm here today, uh, really excited to share a conversation with Hayden. I got to meet her through the yoga studio and she's such a sweetheart with wisdom beyond her years to share. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to You and Your Body podcast from your own couch. <laughs> uh, it's not really a destination, but it's a destination in our minds we get to create together. Um, and this is the lovely Hayden Peck. Welcome. Oh, this is me. I'm <laughs> here on my couch with some red wine. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> I got a chai latte I bought at eight in the morning that I still haven't finished. So there we go. Perfect. Cheers. And I know Hayden through the yoga studio, Moto Yoga Seattle. Um, and part of why I've loved doing this project is like you email me just some basics about your resume and stuff. And I was like already learning a ton because we like interact quite a bit, but very much at the yoga studio. And so I really didn't know much about your personal life. So I'm excited to get to learn more. Well, it's um, so cool getting to know you through that space too, because you know, people come and people go and you just, you have those teeny tiny interactions. Yeah, totally. They last and they can even last through something like this. So I'm excited to be a part of your project and hey. I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. Totally. That's part of the joy. It's just to kind of let it flow. And what about, so like all I did is I put out on Instagram that I wanted to do a podcast about people's relationship with their bodies. And what about that? Were you like, hey, I want to participate or I want to talk about that? Well, I have a couple different reasons. The first one, I was like, what? Like, I could be on a podcast? Like, that's cool. Like, yeah, for sure. How big it is, whatever. I love listening to podcasts. Mm -hmm. I'm always kind of like, you know, I wonder what it, what it took to, like, 
be on a podcast and it was super accessible, but I also feel like this project in particular, it's, it's addressing like a deeper conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are things in life that like happen that often, unless you are with like your close people. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really cool that you were opening, having such an open approach and such an open conversation, um, especially for someone like me, who another reason I wanted to be a part of this is because I've never really talked mm. you know, about that vulnerability of my relationship with my body and, you know, how I perceive myself. And I've never, I've never deepened myself into that space. So it was offered and I'm really comfortable kind of around you. Like (laughs) we're always, you know, kind of laughy, positive people together. And I just thought that this would be a great opportunity for me to grow, but also, you know, have, have a conversation that I've never had out loud, you know? Well, I'm so excited. And honestly, that is part of what I love about podcasting is like, it takes very little money like the, it takes not very much to start a podcast. Like the biggest thing it takes is the idea, right? And like, that's the hardest part, but like the actual technology is inexpensive. You know, I have like a $20 mic I got on Amazon. You don't even need one, but I just happened to buy one on Amazon. And I think that's part of what makes podcasts a really special medium is I think it takes, you know, so much of like a lot of things require money. <laughs> you know, a lot of things require a lot of money to create something to share with the world. And so I think podcasting is pretty special because it really doesn't and it doesn't really matter how big the audience is like I don't care if 20 people listen to this or you know dream big thousands <laughs> I just want I just think yeah thanks for resonating with that I think it's really a, a special medium and I think there's I just think that this is a conversation that isn't really being had but that we're all experience we all got bodies like we're all dealing with this bullshit we're just not talking about it <laughs> <laughs> we're waking up we, we've got this thing and no you're you're totally spot on and you know conversation is kind of what progresses things forward yeah so, and you know being being in this state of the world that we're in and quarantining and I've I've realized how much I miss conversation mm-hmm. uh, like even yesterday I went and picked up a friend that I hadn't seen in forever and her and I went to like a little frosé, like, and we got some frosés, couldn't enjoy it there, obviously, but they were like, there's a park down the street. Yeah. Walk there. And so her and I did, and we sat on the water and we lost track of time. We talked for like two hours. And after we both just said, whoa, like, I forgot how good that felt, you know, to just like talk to someone and to catch up and to like brush past the surface level and you take so much for granted the people you live with and totally. people you're with every single day that that you miss you miss that connection so yay absolutely for this <laughs> well yeah well welcome how would you have maybe described your relationship with your body when you were younger growing up or when I was younger um I come from a super active family uh so health and fitness was always something I don't want to be negative and say it was like pushed down my throat, but it definitely was something that like I knew I was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, my parents threw me into every single sport imaginable. Um, thank goodness for that. It was great to try all those things, but kind of with that took a bit of, you know, me comparing myself to the kids that I was with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of them were a lot more fit than I, and a lot of them like – 
athleticism came so much more. Um, I started swimming and, you know, getting to that age where not everyone like looked the same in a swimsuit, like definitely brought out those insecurities. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember that. The swim team locker is terrifying. I, I was also on the swim team. And I remember some girls would just like rip off their swimsuits and walk around naked. And I was always like. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember distinctly, like, I was definitely one of the first people kind of in my, in my little crew to like hit puberty. And it was so awkward. Mm-hmm. It was so awkward. And people would start pointing things out, like boys and girls, some of my friends, you know, um, being like, oh, like, you've got a boob now. (laughs) And it's like, I didn't even know, like, what, you know, what to make of that. Yeah. Kind of going off that, too, being in a family, I have three older half-brothers and one younger brother. I'm super close with my dad. And I think kind of because of that um, kind of, you know, man energy, mom didn't get as close as I think I had hoped we would, you know, Mm -hmm. throughout throughout my childhood. And both my parents were super busy travelers. Um, You know, they instilled independence in me really, really young. Mm -hmm. But with that, I felt I kind of lacked that almost natural progression and that Mm -hmm. in, you know, understanding my body, understanding what was changing. Did Um, anybody talk to you about periods and stuff? No, like not at all. The most, the most that I really learned about was like school. Mm, wow. Which is not a lot. Mm-mm. At least not a lot about the emotions. They're very like, right. you know, biological. Like I remember my godmom bought me like a you and your body type of book. I think it was called like the care and keeping of you. And it was is it like, an American girls book. Yes. I had the same one. <laughs> that was like my total like education and understanding. Like I can't, I couldn't even tell you who gave me the book. But that book was the only type of conversation that really, like, happened for me. And, you know, having all these boys in my family, and they were definitely not experiencing the same things. And growing up, all my friends were, you know, super skinny, super, like, beautiful, perfect skin. And, like, I didn't, I was not the same. Yeah. In in those ways at all. And it was, it was hard to navigate. It was definitely a hard space to navigate. What was it like when you got your period? I mean, I'll open it up and share it first if that makes you feel better. But I was in fifth grade. Yeah. I I was quite young. (laughs) You know, fifth grade. I was the summer before fifth grade started. Oh, my God. How old would that make you? I don't know. I'm a teacher, and I should know that. But I know the upper grades. How old would that be? Kindergarten is five, six. Six, seven, seven, eight, eight, nine, nine, ten. Twelve years old. Ten, eleven. Yeah, like ten. I was young. Um, but I think my grandma or my mother, um, had a problem. I don't know anything about medicine. Sorry, any listeners, but my mom basically had holes in her heart. I don't know what the like medical term is for that, but it caused some like rhythmic problems with her heartbeat. And so we had to go to Mayo Clinic and get, uh, she had to have heart surgery, um, which she was one of the first, I don't know, apparently it was kind of new to do laparoscopies for this at the time. So we were lucky she was an afternoon to open heart surgery, but I was obviously very upset and stressed about the whole situation. Um, and I had gone a few days early with my mom and my grandparents because my dad had to work. And then he obviously came with the surgery at some point, but so, and my grandparents have an RV. And so my mom's at the hospital, like she's spending the nights at the hospital. 
and I was in my grandparents in the RV and I was in the little like, RV park concrete floor bathroom and I remember finding stuff in my underwear <laughs> and just like panicking <laughs> but I had to go tell my grandma we didn't have cell phones but right? yeah. I couldn't call my mom right. like I mean for my mom's benefit, like, she had tried to talk to me. I was the weird one. <laughs> she would try and talk to me about stuff, and I'd be like, can I just look at the You and Your Body book or whatever it was called? <laughs> I was like, I don't want to talk about it, Mom. I but think that's totally normal, too. Like, even, you know, I don't want to be the one being like, oh, there was no resources for me. Yeah. Like, no one wanted to have the conversation. <laughs> you know, something awkward would happen, in it, and it could be something as simple as, like, shopping for bras. Mm. Like, I didn't even want to talk about that like I wanted to be like I'm gonna go into the dressing room alone like I don't want to talk to the to the yeah. airy at American Eagle about like what my right bra size is like I I just like, didn't want to deal with it no I've had a lot of shame around my body that I don't know where it came from yeah. I mean I'm sure it came from somewhere and I honestly don't think it's my parents my parents were like pretty open with their bodies I was the one always telling them to put on clothes like my dad would happily walk around as whitey tidies and I would get mad at him and make him put on pants you know <laughs> like I was the, the prude of the family oh my god but I definitely got some message somewhere that like that I think it was something specifically about like bodies being seen was shameful that like I should hide my breasts and I should hide my like I always had a curvier body for even as a young you know ten years old you get your period you start getting some boobs right <laughs> fifth or sixth grade and I just remember being so embarrassed like boys would try and talk to me and I was like please don't talk to me <laughs> I just want to read my book with my girlfriends <laughs> I feel like I had the opposite problem because when all these things yeah. started coming up for me I was it was like it was like I you know was avoid like everyone wanted to avoid me and boys especially like the boys that I had been friends with and oh yeah all that stuff it's like it was kind of like that's where the defined line was was like mm -hmm. oh like you're a girl now like you oh. but at the same time inside with you know my tomboy yeah kind of tendencies and my comfort levels I was like no this is still the space I want to be in but my body kind of made me feel like Mm. that's not where I was supposed to be as, as a young, as a young girl. Totally. Um, and I like getting your period. Right. That was, gosh, you, <laughs> I'm glad that you had a horrific, like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Like, I find out most women do. The more I talk to women about it. Mine was pretty horrific as well. And <laughs> maybe that's the wrong word to describe. <laughs> I was, I was at a friend's house, which was almost better, except, you know, I didn't want to deal with her mom. Yeah. I was staying with them for like a week. Her and I oh. were doing this like hip hop dance camp during the summer. And it, All right. it just came out of nowhere. Like, it, you know, it happened. And it's like your life just changed in that second. Oh. Like I was 13 um, and I woke up and it was just like all over her bed. Oh, that's the worst. I felt so bad. And luckily she, you know, had like started it a couple months earlier and so she gave me a ton of stuff, but still then I was like, I, like this pad, I was like, does it go in your pants? Like, totally enough. Like it's too big. Like I literally feel like I'm walking with a whole roll of <laughs> toilet paper, like between my legs. Like that's horrible. Totally. Uh, the tampons are terrifying. You're like, you want me to shove this up my vagina? I don't even know where that is yet. Exactly. <laughs> well, and the thing too was you know, me not having the relationship with my mom at the time, yeah. you know, be able to call her and be like, mom, this is what happened. You know, I 
I didn't even tell her. Like, she was like, how are things going? And I just remember holding back tears, and I was like, I can't tell her until, like, I'm back home. And then I had to, like, I felt like I had to, you know, put on this coat of armor before going and, like, having that conversation. Um, and, you know, still trying to get to the bottom of why that was. Totally. Um, lots of lots of thinking about it, but I'm sure uh, it was, I remember you, you mentioned earlier about you're not sure where the body insecurity came from. Yeah. But, you know, in growing up and in retrospect, kind of learning more about, you know, who my mom was as a young woman and who she was, you know, as a young mother, kind of dealing with her own, her own body insecurities, which also isn't talked about. Like, that's not, I feel like for women her age, she's, you know, in her, in her, she's 50 now, but it's, I feel like they still don't feel like they can comfortably talk about their bodies either. So that's why this podcast is so exciting because now I can start to, you know, uncover some of these things and we can talk about it together. And hopefully that's something I can, you know, bring back to her. And yeah, if she wants to, you know, have that conversation one day too. I wonder too if like women of like, you know, you are my mother's generation. My mom's a little bit older than you are. She's almost 60. But I wonder too if there was this moment where like health and criticizing your body got a little bit confused. Like my mom was very healthy and she came to it from a place of wanting our family to be healthy. And like, I think it all came from a really genuine, beautiful place. But I definitely heard my mother criticize her own body very often. Oh, be very like critical of her weight and like very concerned about her weight, concerned about my dad's weight. Like there's a lot of concern, the whole family with weight. And, and I was always a little bit rounder or fuller as, you know, a human being. And mm-hmm. I think that there are definitely some internalized messages there, even when the intent was health, you know, because I, I think that often it wasn't intentional to make me feel nervous or self-conscious about my body, but there was that judgment I heard being placed on her own body. Yeah. That has to affect us, you know? And you know, that could be too. Like I, I was fortunate enough to be put in, you know, this private school in Denver. Um, But that definitely secluded me from a lot of experience. And we were getting a lot of the same types of people, you know, all in one space And, and growing up in that environment too, you know, that lack of diversity and that lack of, everything, you know, it felt like everyone looked the same and it felt like everyone kind of had the same concerns and, you know, exactly what you said, those the health and the criticism, like everyone, it felt like even between the moms, there was, there was, you know, some competition to, you know, be, be the healthiest, be the fittest, be the thinnest, um, have the best clothes, look the best, especially showing up to whatever social gatherings like they had. And it's so interesting now being removed from that space. And and my family is now removed from that space, but it was definitely, it was a chapter for all of us Yeah, going through that. And it's been interesting to, you know, see the progression from there and, you know, translating more in that active, healthy lifestyle versus that kind of negative body culture that, you know, and, and body culture, I feel like is everything from how you perceive yourself to, to dieting, to fashion, um, to even like partying. Like, I yeah. think, I think that's all inclusive. So. 
Well, it's interesting to think about how cultural that experience is of different, of judgment around bodies, because different cultures, I think most cultures have judgment around bodies and around what people look like, but it's really interesting how different it can shift across cultures. Like, I remember the first time that I, which is where I met Kwesi, right? Like, we went to Ghana. Mm-hmm. People love the shape of my body. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I was like, this is a shameful thing we're all just trying to ignore. Like, what do you mean? You appreciate it or you think that that's attractive? Because I just, I don't think I'd ever fully realized how cultural our sense of attractiveness is. That, like, you know, thinness is not necessarily the goal in all cultures in the world. Definitely. And I definitely did not recognize that. Well, and I'm sure a common theme in these conversations you're having with this podcast is, you know, the media and all that. (laughs) Blame the media. The media is the reason. But, you know, you look look from point A when advertisements started using thin women to sell a product and that just became, you know, oh, that's what a woman is. Like, at its very foundation, that's... That's what it is. I mean, you could show that photo to someone that live that isn't exposed to media. Mm-hmm. They see a photo and they're like, "Is that what it's supposed to be? You know, is that what I am supposed to be? Like, that totally. looks nothing like me, or that's I'm not sure if that's ever something I can be. There must be something wrong with me." Well, and even think about what like right now, what's in fashion is like unreasonably tiny waists and unusually large butts. It's like <laughs> we're not gonna look. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these people are not like they're using a lot of authentic inauthentic methods to achieve that look like you know it ha- I feel like there's fads in like what body shape is popular and then it's hard to not compare yourself like you said and not to feel bad about yourself and set yourself to unreasonable standards that like no nobody's just like eating pretty well and trying to have a good life and sometimes exercising and achieving that and then it goes straight to your ass you know <laughs> <laughs> somehow it bypasses your low belly and just scoots to the back <laughs> it's i just it makes me wonder like what's next like what what would the next body trend be like like mm-hmm. is it is it you know curvy people is it is it going to be like give me my moment i'm in <laughs> I'm ready for it. No, but I don't, I think we just shouldn't do that, but generally it would be fun. I also appreciate, even Rihanna recently came out and she was like, people are giving her a hard time because she's gotten a little curvier and so she has a little bit more of a belly, but she was like, if you want me to have a big ass, I got to get a little belly. I love that she was just like, they come together. So I don't want to get judged for it. I like how my butt looks. So I got a little like low belly. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, also what is that? Like that obsession of you know, people with other people's bodies. Oh, right. Like Adele, everyone's obsessed with Adele's weight loss right now. I just, I was like, fuck off. Let the woman live. Even my friends, like we have like a little Instagram, like group chat where all we do is share memes and videos. And we're like, you got to see this. And one of my friends sent the Adele thing. And I was, you know, I don't really keep up with pop culture super much. Like it, I don't know what's going on with the Kardashians. <laughs> like, I don't have a TikTok. Like, I'll definitely watch a TikTok if it's shared. <laughs> like, they're hilarious. Me but, too, but I don't have one. <laughs> but I just, I have too much anxiety to, you know, add another, add another little gadget to my life. <laughs> Good job for knowing that. But I saw that too. And I was, even inside me, I was like, oh my God. And then I caught myself, like, on her Instagram profile. 
searching for the like before and after like what did she look like before like maybe I can find a picture in the middle to see like how long it took her and then I caught myself and I was like what what are you doing like what is that obsession like I I'm guilty of it for sure we are sometimes you know sometimes I'll all like rip a J. I don't know if I can say that on here. <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> and then it's that same kind of thing. Like I'll get sent like a Kardashian thing or something of Kylie. Girl, I'm, I've been there. And then I'm like super high. Like, oh my God, how does Kylie look like that? And I'm like literally zooming in on her cheekbones and <laughs> looking for like the, the needle injections. And, and then I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like I have also fallen down the Kylie Jenner Instagram hole and it gets scary. You like look up from your phone and you're like 45 minutes later, what was I doing? I just, I just don't, I just can't even fathom that people live like that. I think that's how I end up going down this tunnels. I'm like, that's someone's life? Like how? Yeah. But I think it also just brings up an important point, like how prominent mm-hmm. our bodies are you know, in life, like it, it is our life. It is. Bodies are our life. And Mm. no, I took, I took a walk before this podcast to try to kind of get my thoughts straight. Cause I had, I had no idea what I was going to (laughs) say. Like, you know, I volunteered. I'm probably going to just murder it with words. I don't even know. (laughs) I, I had a thought and it was, you know, our bodies are really, the only thing that's going to be constant with us, you know, for our whole lives. And they're really the truly only thing that we have. Like we can have a home, like we can have a roof over our heads. We can like, yeah. you know, have a companion, but your body is truly the only thing that you own. Totally. And that's crazy. It's one of the most important relationships in our lives. Yeah. It's obviously with yourself, but I think your body's a bigger part of your relationship with yourself than sometimes we're willing to admit. Well, and no one talks about it. No. <laughs> it's like some hush-hush secret that people are uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah, and, and it's like I can zone out and think about, you know, be all existential and think about how we got here and what it all means and it's or like how, how human beings are the way that they are. But at the end of the day, like, none of that matters because it's like we're here we're dwelling in our body like what are you going to make of that totally well i'm like this is the only home we have for this lifetime like mm-hmm. you're you're stuck with this body i think i spent a lot of my life like pitying myself and thinking that i got stuck with a rotten one i think i was just like well i got fucked over in the light in the body department yeah. and so i for a long i think mo- until my like mid to late 20s i think i was just like well I'm a really great person. Like I'm going to cultivate my personality because I feel like good about who I am as a person. But body wise, I just got fucked. Like, I think that's really how I felt. I was like, well, I felt bad for myself. I was like, this sucks. I didn't do anything to deserve to have to have this horrible body. And I had all these like, just self like loathing and pitying kind of feelings. And then I think at some point I was like, this is what I got though. Like, yeah, I should probably just try and learn to love it because it's not going away and me feeling bad about it or feeling like I got screwed over it isn't helping the situation. Right. Like, you know. I mean, I, f- I f- still feel the same way. Like, in, I'd, love to, I'd love to wake up and be like, 
I'm body positive now. Like <laughs> I'm 24, like I'm, tw- I'm only 24. Like I'm still figuring out literally everything. We all are. Yeah, we all are. <laughs> but it's, you know, and I got my braces off late. Like I was a total late bloomer in, yeah. in almost every aspect of life. Like I was, I live with one of my best friends from kindergarten and she'll tell everyone out of love, out of total love. And it, it, it's a joke too. She's like, yeah, Hayden was weird. Like I was Hayden, like I was Hayden's friend, but like Hayden was weird. And, and she's not wrong. Like she's, she's not wrong at all. And I think, you know, a lot of that, like you said, I was like, you know, I could be that funny girl. I can be that, you know, kind of wild wild card and that can divert from you know how I really feel about myself inside and a lot of that was my physical appearance Mm -hmm. like I couldn't figure out the makeup thing I couldn't figure out the hair thing I still haven't figured out the fashion thing like (laughs) and my mom's a fashion consultant like (laughs) it can't be helped do you think I felt often that I would look around at my friends and be like I'm the, like, the personality of the group. I was like, my friends are all beautiful and really hot, and I'm just, like, the fun one, and I'm gonna, like, tag along, and I think because of that, I also thought that I wasn't worthy of a relationship. Like, I didn't, I didn't kiss anyone until I was 21, so, I mean, welcome, I was also a late bloomer club, because I just, like, thought that that, I just thought I wasn't worthy of it. I was like, no one would ever be physically attracted to me, so what's the point? So I was like, I'm just gonna be really fun. So I'm good at being fun and I just like can ignore like I'm not worthy of romantic relationships so what's the point yeah I mean I threw myself into like ice hockey like I I played girls ice hockey which also it's a it's a badass sport but yeah not, which no one acknowledges but that's a conversation for another time it sounds badass like, like unfortunately that put me even lower on like the social food chain than I like ever thought it would you know I was just doing what I loved and you know that came with labels too like everyone assumed that I was gay because I played girls ice hockey and you know everyone was like oh yep she's never gonna be that girly wearing heels and showing up in a dress like she's gonna be the one in the pantsuit you know showing up to the game because you know I was the only girl on my boys varsity team and the coach wouldn't let me wear a dress on game day. Um, they wouldn't let you? They wouldn't let me just because they wanted us to all, they didn't want to draw attention to it. Oh. The fact that they did have a girl on their team because, and that, that was for a variety of reasons. And like, honestly. It was a little bit like patriarchy. Yeah, it was a little bit also like. And I totally went with it because I thought too, I was like, you know, it's better that I just shock them when I'm on the ice Versus, you know, we do our walkthroughs and the teams see each other. It's like, if I can kind of blend in, yeah, then I'm better off. Mm. But, you know, with my ice hockey thing, that definitely took, took a toll on, you know, my acceptance of myself as a female. Totally. Sure. And, you know, defining what was girly and what wasn't. And I knew I wasn't girly. So I was like, well, I'm just like not one of those beautiful girls. Yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't know. I didn't understand that there was like no line between what beautiful was. I thought beautiful was the girls that put on the makeup, wear the dress, date the boys, are social butterflies, hang in their groups. Like 
they weren't the girls, you know, hanging out, <laughs> hanging out in the hallways, like eating their lunch with a couple guys by the lockers, like yeah. wearing a sweatshirt and jeans every day. Like those weren't the beautiful girls. Mm. So that, and then it's funny cause it all changed. I had, I had a horrible braces experience. I don't know, like if you did at all <laughs> or like, but like having braces had such a dampening on mm-hmm. self-esteem, which unfortunately it's because of how long it took. Like I had braces. beautiful teeth now. But- Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's funny because people are, people say they're, a lot of people will just say that their favorite thing kind of about me is my smile. You have a beautiful smile. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, it's crazy because I never thought that that would be something beautiful about me or something so quote, like defining about me because of everything I went through with the braces. Like I didn't get it off till the very, like the last day of my sophomore year of high school. Yeah. like at this point, I was on the boys' hockey team. I was a total brace face. Like <laughs> all the other girls had boyfriends, and like I couldn't get a boy to talk to me to save my life. I was just scared of them. I just decided it wasn't for me, so I just avoided it. I was like all about the girl gang. I was like, I'm never gonna have a relationship, so what's the point <laughs> to talk to them? And I had braces into my senior year. I had to wear them to my senior prom, and I cried. They tried to get me to wear them in college, and I just refused. And so I just my teeth got a little bit more crooked because I was like, I, "They're not bad now. You have great teeth." Yeah, but I just refused to wear the retainers. I was supposed to wear permanent, like I was supposed to have twenty four seven retainers for the first year of college. Yeah, and of course, like a little brat, my mother paid for the retainers, and I just refused to wear. Them. It's so American to just like, get our teeth fixed. Like I, we could have been born, you know, overseas, and it. Yeah. Be- problem in the uk they just would have rolled with it exactly but even like quasi's family my husband's family they're uh immigrants from ghana and they do not believe in braces <laughs> no no one in that family got braces he has great teeth but they were just like why would you spend money on that okay. it, it was it was horrible but it was like a magic trick because the second i got them off i kid you not all the boys came to the yard like they <laughs> <laughs> lined up and they were like hey even some of my best guy friends said uh-oh like you know what this means Hayden right and I was like what they're like you're hot now like you oh. are hot now and I was like what and then that sense of entitlement totally like went to my head I was like okay like now I can define my life from like braces on and then like pre-braces like everything was dark and cold and horrible. Like, and then I got my braces off and then boys started to notice me and I felt beautiful. And it's just a thought that that is a way that I felt, you know, the fact that as a young girl, as someone who's figuring everything out, like I personally believe there's no rougher life, like part of life than middle school to high school. Oh, it is rough. Well, and I think you hit on something really important right there when you said, like, people began to be attracted to me, so I felt beautiful. Because I do think that there's also this really, like, dangerous thing that I still feel, like, where my worthiness, my beauty, my, like, how awesome I am, my love for myself is way too rooted in whether other people find me attractive. And that's hard. I mean, that's hard to get over. I'm not claiming that that's going to be something that we can get over quickly, but, like, I've tried to get better about even noticing it 
and noticing that like my self-confidence is sometimes reliant upon how many compliments I get from my husband or, you know, whether or not he affirms how I look because I don't, that's not healthy. Like it, oh. it shouldn't matter. I should feel beautiful no matter what he says. Yeah, no, you should. You absolutely should just feel beautiful regardless as every single woman and man. Yeah. And like everyone, everyone has needs to feel beautiful. Right. And it's yeah. a bummer that that's not the way it is. And, and you feel more, you are more attractive when you believe that you're more beautiful inside. Like that's what makes people attractive. Like think about the people that I find beautiful in my life. It has nothing to do with what they look like. No. It has to do with the way they carry themselves in the world and the way that they like own their worthiness and are like, I am a wonderful human being with things to share. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, I've been so thankful for people like that who I've met who have influenced me to be like, okay, beauty is not looks. Mm. Beauty is who, like who you are at your core and when you are being your true self. Yeah. And like you said, I catch myself all the time looking for affirmation from others. Like oh, me too. And, and it's such a bummer that when I feel like I'm looking my best, I feel like I need to flaunt it on Instagram or that I need to like say, okay, we're going to go out tonight because I look bomb. It's like, yeah. why? <laughs> it's so true. It's, it's, it's like almost it's hard because what's happening when you're not feeling your best, you know, like I'm not saying it's wrong at all to get dressed up, post your hot selfie. Like you do whatever you want to do, like, and be shameless about it. Yeah. But if you're doing it for the, for affirmation and if you're doing it to make yourself feel better mm-hmm. by the amount of views or likes that you get, or, you know, how many DMS it gets, like I'm, I'm a very single girl. So it's like, you know, for a while, especially in college, like I was, I was definitely weighting my self worth and like how good I looked on a certain day by how many people would, you know, swipe up and be like, Ooh, like you're looking fire. And I'm like, okay, not you. Like <laughs> I'm powerful, like yeah. moving on. And that's not right. Well, I think that like, I don't know if we necessarily want to go down the road very far, but I also think that there's like, I think that it can have negative effects on the sexual relationships that you do have. Mm-hmm. If your whole, if you base your self-confidence on making someone else feel sexually attracted to you. Like, I don't actually think it sets you up for a healthy sexual relationship because then the like first time somebody's like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to have sex. You like panic and think that you're a nightmare or that you're hideous when it's like, that's not a, that's like kind of continues to make someone less attracted to you when you're panicking about your self-worth. But I just think it like, I think that surprised me. I don't think I saw that coming. I think that, I think I had a lot of negative stereotypes around, especially men and like what who should want to have sex and who shouldn't and that kind of like fucked up stuff and then I just had to like I don't know I still am working on it that like my attractiveness and my self-confidence cannot be based on someone wanting to have sex with me like it's not healthy for the sexual relationship or my self-worth yeah well and I mean I'm I'm down to go a little down this road okay. like I personally don't feel like that has ever been a relationship that I've been in, you know, where someone was just focused on like what I looked like. Yeah. But I also haven't been in 
many healthy relationships. And I think they were unhealthy for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and they were purely, you know, sexual relationships. But I think to kind of go deeper, a lot of it was, you know, I was perceiving myself as like this hot little thing, like going out on the town. And, you know, I thought I was desirable and I kind of didn't really care. I, while I was looking for their affirmations, I didn't really need them to, you know, physically affirm it and be like, oh, you're the hottest thing. Cause it's like, I'd already be like, okay, well we're headed home together. And like, you like me, obviously. But then I would get, you know, I would get there and it would be like go time. And then I'd freeze. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm not this hot thing. Like I, like um, I feel like I am. And, you know, my confidence in my sexual relationships was pretty much shot. And I don't, I don't know if that's because it's, it's like, it was almost like a, I felt like I was an imposter to myself. It's like I'd been catfishing myself with my own like media you know it's like I put out this picture where I look fire like I've convinced myself that that's what I look like but then you know once you get down to that intimate that intimate moment when you're with another person that's vulnerable I I felt like I was catfishing myself I was (laughs) like oh my gosh like I don't look anything like I think they think I look like you know and and that definitely has definitely played with me for a while um in those relationships and it like it wasn't awesome (laughs) I'm sure it wasn't awesome (laughs) it's like not awesome at all (laughs) and the reality is if you can take a step back and think about how other people probably perceive you like I love seeing people first thing in the morning when they wake up and they don't have any makeup on like I think there's nothing more beautiful my friends when we wake up camping and everyone's just in their natural faces and coffee and looking half asleep like you know, I, I often stop myself when I feel judgmental about myself and think about how I perceive others in the same moment. And like, I think there's nothing more beautiful than like a natural face person waking up in the morning looking kind of half asleep. You know, and I think that like, <laughs> I know, every bit of that. <laughs> right? Well, because you are, you're just as hot as that picture. It's yeah. just that we get these insecurities that when we suddenly build up and, ugh. They hurt our relationship so much with ourselves. And, and it, it's, it's a bummer that, that they do, but you know, one day now that I, you know, I've had some time kind of away, away from my old, my old <laughs> tendencies. It's like, I, I'm excited for this next chapter, you know, to embrace, embrace something deeper and, you know, having, having a better understanding of myself, I think definitely helps. And I feel like once you, in like going all back to it, like what this whole podcast is about. It's like your body is what you have. Yeah. And it's also what you have, you know, to give someone too. like someone that you care about. You give to your husband, you give to your boyfriend, you give, you, you even give it like to your family when you show up for them. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's what you have and it's, it's what you can, it's one of the most intimate parts of yourself that you can give. So it's, you got to nurture it. I feel like without labeling, we might've been discussing a little bit of the like sorority days of your life. (laughs) The like party girl who's like, I don't want to make assumptions about sororities, but the like party girl who loved to go out and have a good time. And I know you mentioned at one point to me that you felt like that started to kind of feel not right. And you started to make some transitions. What was that like? Yeah. So a lot of that, um, I would definitely say is linked to, you know, the drinking party culture. Yeah. 
Um, it's funny because I, I told myself when I was going to college, I was like, I don't understand the people. I literally words out of my mouth. <laughs> I don't understand people that go to college and all they do is party. Quote, like, and, and then, and then sub quote, like you're there to learn. Why wouldn't you just do that? Oh, like I distinctly said that. And you know, it took two weeks into, it took it took a day into me joining my sorority for that to change. Mm -hmm. And it was so great, you know, like I loved it, but in retrospect, and unfortunately, you know, everything, it kind of changed, it started to change. I started to realize that I wasn't feeling good at all physically. Like I, I looked different. I was acting different. I was in, and it was only to me that this was yeah. evident. There weren't others coming to me being like, you've changed. I did have a couple close friends that I made my freshman year who are still my angels today. I love them dearly. They are my outdoor people, like my backpacking, you know, have conversations like this type of people. And, you know, they would, they would kind of nudge at a couple of things, like if they were hosting a small gathering and I'd blow them off for some, you know, frat party. Yeah. Kind of nudge at that. And I remember that was uncomfortable. And those little nudges, I just, I just blew them off. Um, but, you know, in, in regards to my body, like my body physically didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. My brain didn't feel good. My stomach didn't feel good. You know, I was always like sore. My feet always hurt. Like, I physically, I was physically like deteriorating and I, I didn't even notice. I was like, you know, it's, this is just how it is. Yeah. We'd be joking. We're like, oh, this is the fourth night this week that we're, you know, ripping shots. And I'd be like, all right, it's just, it's just the ways of the world. Yeah. And it's, it's like I floated through all of that time mm -hmm. and it, I was, I was, it's, I was stuck. Like there's no other way to put it than stuck, but I thought I was happily stuck. And I remember saying to myself, you know, like, the party thing's going to slow down. Like and all my friends are, you know, part Oh, did I lose you for a second? Yeah, but you're back. All my friends are, you know, work first. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> Hello. But I think I, I kind of lost my train of thought, but <laughs> this can body and like partying a lot with the story. Yeah, no. The physical deterioration and like the toll it was taking on me. Um, I wasn't drinking water, like something as simple as that. Um, you know, water's amazing. If you didn't, if, if didn't know, <laughs> water's amazing. Um, and luckily it wasn't lucky at the time, but luckily the friendships in my life that were toxic were, you know, kind of purged, purged from me unnaturally, I would have called it. And it was super upsetting. You know, I was basically kind of shunned and ditched for some, you know, personal decisions that I had made and some feelings that I had hurt due to party culture. You know, like I had made some decisions that upset some people and you know that kind of group gang mentality I was ganged up on and dropped like forgotten and then that was it and then college ended like three days later <laughs> oh. it, it was it was pretty intense and I remember 
feeling like I was the lowest I'd ever been. And I was like, I'll never recover from this. Like I'll never make a friend again because I'd put my identity in, in that girl, in that girl who was fun, in that girl that, you know, was the life of the party. And a lot of people relied on me to, you know, get things going, to be the rally girl. And I was proud of myself for being that when I was ignoring every single sign from my body. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sleeping. I was a pre-med major, you know, so I was always studying. I had two jobs. I was getting up at 5 a.m. working at football practice for the football team. I was going to class all day, eating like tons of cheese. I I love cheese, but like (laughs) not eating well and then going and working until 11 p.m. at an Italian restaurant Mm -hmm. and then eating like a bowl of buttered noodles there and then going to bed and repeating the whole thing. And then on the weekends, you know, add partying to that and Wednesdays. Like, of course, we had to go out on a Wednesday. And I just didn't even realize physically that that was separating me from my body. Mm. And um, it took, you know, being removed from that and being torn from it, I think is a better term to realize that my body is what I have and I was not honoring it. And like, I was not listening to it. And so kind of from there on, that was two years ago, but I'm still working on just doing things for my body and focusing my life energies on the things that are going to move me forward versus, you know, put me back. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with going out. There's nothing wrong with taking tequila shots with your friends. But unfortunately, the things I was putting my body through just was not not who I am. And it kind of took, it took a tough lesson to learn that. Um, do you think that part of how, do you think that you just partially wanted to be accepted? And so you were like, I want friendship and I want acceptance. Cause that, those first few, I mean, college is hard. That transition is hard to have to make all new friends. You know, like I definitely remember crying and saying I wanted to go home in November and being like, I'm college stuck. You know, like, it's hard to find friends at first. Well, I went, I went to college knowing one person who yeah. was two years older than me. And she's also the only reason I got into the sorority that I did, because she was in it, you know. And all the other, quote, cool sororities had dropped me to that point. And I had spent all of high school getting rejected, whether it was for my braces, you know, for my body, for being a girl's ice hockey player, yeah, you know. Um, I, I transferred high schools too halfway through and lost all my friends from the first high school and had to go make new friends. And I never had a group really ever. I had had a group, you know, elementary school. And then those girls kind of stayed with me on an individual basis. But my first girl group ever was in college. So I that and I ran like I ran with it so hard like that feeling of acceptance and that community Mm -hmm. I thought it was community I thought it was all love you know I thought and like I'm talking about it so negatively but it did just it did have its really really special parts to it but overall I think we were all to a point kind of convincing ourselves that 
we're happy, we're good, we're smiling, we all love each other, when deep down we were all maybe kind of suffering from the same thing. Totally. Which is, you know, I've, it's such a bummer too to think about Greek life culture now and across other universities. Like I was super lucky in my case that I went to a school that was really like open with their Greek life and very, um, I would say different, definitely. After going through my experience there, it was definitely a more accepting community than a lot of other Greek life systems across the nation. But it definitely was far from perfect still. Well, it just seems like, I don't know much about Greek life. As you can tell, I went to Indiana University. (laughs) It was fairly prominent in my college, but that just wasn't really my scene. Like, I, I don't know. I spent most of college being like a nerdy girl with who only hung out with other women and did a lot of reading and studying. Um, and then I did go party really hard in Spain for my last year and had a great time. But for me, that, that was actually needed. Like I needed to break out a little bit of my like small town. You know, I needed somebody to burst open my doors a little bit. And I think booze helps just a little bit to be like, Oh, I can be fun. Like, Oh, I have a fun personality. People might like, like it was helpful for me. I mean, obviously also, probably went too far but luckily it was one year um but it seems like Greek life doesn't encourage individuality and doesn't necessarily encourage you to like be like one of the things I've been loving in my life in the last five years is like being my weird self like I used to keep that very private like I didn't I wasn't that weird (laughs) like I would you know Kwesi for years was like don't you want to bring the weird girl out to like play with other people like I like her she's really fun (laughs) And he was like, I think you should be a bit weirder in public. And I was like, I don't know. Weird. I love, that you, I love that you say that because, yes, I agree. I agree that, you know, in a social sense, mm-hmm. it doesn't foster individuality at all. Yeah. In a humanly sense, at least my particular sorority, we were pretty good about, you know, supporting each other on endeavors. Like, we were super super group of like cool feminist girls most of them from like Portland that were super woke and like (laughs) you know it was it was great in that sense but socially definitely not like you were expected to be at the places and you were expected to show up to the formal and like if you didn't want to go there must be something wrong with you yeah but you know luckily I was brought into another space in college that allowed me to be my weird self and like you said you were like where's my weird self I gotta let my weird self fly or yeah people nudging you saying where, where is she, where is she? <laughs> I had like an inner nudging that was like because like I said I was weird I was weird growing <laughs> up I was that weird I made like weird YouTube videos of myself singing Taylor Swift like I'll share them with you someday but <laughs> Yikes. I uh, joined a summer camp kind of program and it's called Camp Kesem and we basically fundraise to put this camp on every single year for these kids whose parents have cancer. Mm-hmm. And the, I got to go to camp for like a week and be weird. Like I would take my whole weirdness, like all my built up angst from a whole year and just throw it into a week you know, to pour into these kids because, you know, (laughs) this is kind of bringing it full circle, but like the experience that I had as a kid 
um, you know, with anxiety and with, you know, my body insecurity and with, you know, friend, lack of friends, basically. I don't think that a kid should ever feel that way. And that was my big motivator in joining summer camp. But I didn't realize that going to camp, you know, as a college student, as a college age kid, that that would influence me in the same way that like maybe it was influencing them. Like I, I went there and like they named me Shrek. Like that was my, that was my name. And still to this day, people, people from camp call me Shrek and I love it. I, that, that's me. Like <laughs> I'd much rather be Shrek than sorority Hayden, you know, on any given day. And it's weird that life, you know, points you to those places where you have to figure that out. But I'm really thankful that that happens. Do you think it healed some of your like childhood trauma to be able to like give a different experience to other kids? Definitely. Definitely. And I know for me, like when I was able to go to summer camp as a kid, like my overnight camp, that was, it was the most magical week of my life. Like I could be myself. I didn't have to, you know, hide from the people at school that I was afraid of socializing with. I didn't have to look in a mirror. Like at camp, you don't have to look at a mirror at camp. Like they discourage, you're not allowed to bring your phone. Like you, no one wears makeup. I was in a cabin once where like a couple girls were putting on makeup, but I was like, we're camping. That's weird. What are you doing? So (laughs) I never did that, but definitely like healing, it was healing and it was healing to, look into the eyes of a kid and, you know, tell them that it's all okay and that who you are is awesome and, like, I want to hang out with you. Because who knows if that's what they're hearing? It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a teacher. It's not. Like, no, and, and that's another reason why I think you're so great and why I look up to you is because you are a teacher and you teach those amazing amazing kids and you know adults that people just push aside and and you don't do that and I think that's I think that's amazing oh thanks yeah yeah I also was a camp counselor we got counselor vibes <laughs> I, I could have like totally called that when you started talking when I saw anything I was like of course you became counselor <laughs> I get that vibe um well, well, because I, I'm supposed to work at a camp this summer. Oh, yeah. As like a co-director, but yeah, here we are. Sorry, <laughs> drink some wine. I, I, that ship has probably sailed. But who um, do you? So I also really associate you with the outdoors. Like, has that kind of been part of this transition from sorority life to kind of where you're at now? Definitely. Um, and I think also, you know, not only sorority life, but into a better state of mind, I think is even a better way to put it. Cause you know, I did label myself as a sorority girl. I did label myself as, you know, that fun girl in college. And I was doing the outdoorsy stuff, you know, while I was in college and doing it with people that I loved and people who were a part of the sorority too. I wasn't doing it as much as I wanted to. Um, but I did my first big climb, my first, my first big alpine climb um, in 2016. And then that's kind of when, you know, sitting on top of a peak in the Swiss Alps, I was like, 
I, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. You know, I thought I was going to die the whole way up, like not to be dramatic, but I actually like, <laughs> I was like, this is the end. And, but I did it. And I know this is something you say all the time. And, you know, we hear at the yoga studio, but we can do hard things. And I remember sitting on that mountain and was like, you just did a hard thing. Like that is a really hard thing. And like avalanche sounds are like cracking in the <laughs> distance. And I was like, I'm still not off this thing. Like I might not even live to tell this tale. And like, it was totally safe. Like we were in the great hands of my dad, but it was, you know, my first big summit and I'm sitting there with like an ax and I'm roped up with my older brother. And I remember I was like, this is a moment where I feel like my body is powerful. Mm -hmm. I feel like I am confident. Like I did this thing. And then I came down and I was like, I need to do more things like that, that make me feel that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was, you know, after that, that's when I joined the camp you know, that year, it was, it was the perfect halfway point of college where I was like, you know, you still can do the sorority thing and the work thing and the climbing thing and the camp thing. Like you can do it all. And I, once again, didn't realize I was spreading myself so thin, but the outdoors give me confidence mm -hmm. in every aspect of my life. Um, for sure. And I find that in climbing, I find that in hiking, in just like literally breathing in like tree bark. Like, <laughs> I'm definitely that person that's like, ooh, that's a ponderosa. It smells like vanilla. And I'll run up to it and be like, like mm -hmm. sniffing it like a candle. It's, <laughs> it, it's a mess. But in kind of tying it back to my body, I find that all that negative talk about my body stops when I'm doing hard things and when I'm doing stuff outside because, you know, I'm always like, God, my legs are huge. Like my legs are huge. Or like, I wish, I wish my arms like weren't, I wish my shoulders weren't as broad as they were. Like those are just a couple things, but like if my shoulders weren't as broad. I wouldn't be able to reach the high handholds. And if my legs weren't as big, I probably wouldn't be able to walk as long as I can. Like, up a mountain yeah. and, you know, taking the time to have those little gratitudes for the things that I think are imperfect, but are probably part of, most likely one of the main reasons why I can do those hard things and reach those hard summits. Um, it kind of, it puts it all into perspective, you know, like that's yeah. the exact word I was thinking. Yeah. I just feel like what your body looks like suddenly doesn't matter very much whenever you're able to see what it can do. Exactly. And it's honestly been a really big part of my, like the set of like mantras or whatever you want to call it, the words I say in my head frequently to try and combat the negative feelings. Mm -hmm. I often will say like, I'm proud of your efforts. Like and I'll touch my legs or I'll touch my belly or parts of my body. I don't feel great about and be like, I'm proud of your efforts. Thank you for being strong. Like, and just to try to like affirm their abilities instead of worrying about how they look right and like if we can shift our focus to what our body can do and like it's not like I'm perfectly happy with what my body can do like I've got a long way to go my cardio is still my next goal is to like be able to jog a bit stronger you know what I mean well but, you like, your bike right that's why I got my bike to try and like be able because I know I get out of breath quite quickly and I want to work on that but I find my negative self-talk about how I physically look diminishes whenever I focus on what I can do definitely and what feels good in my body 
I think really changes the conversation. Right. Well, and I think also, you know, our body, our body is us. Our body is our life. And I've especially been finding through this whole shelter in place situation. Yeah. I can't, I can't go and be in the hot room at the yoga studio. I can't go. I was supposed to be like, honestly, what date is it? It's like the 18th. I was supposed to be doing a Mount Hood climb on the 20th. And it's like, while I can't, while I can't be doing that right now, what are little things I can do? And, you know, everyone's like, go for a walk. And for a while, I just sat in bed. Like I sat in bed forever. And I was like, my body, like, I don't feel good. Like my brain doesn't feel good. My body doesn't feel good. I don't feel like talking. I don't do, I don't want to do any of that. But if I was able to force myself to go on a like five minute walk, and immediately like getting that blood flowing through your body, even if it was for like standing up, like running up and down the stairs for like two minutes. It's like that fresh blood like goes through your body and like rejuvenates. So I, I don't want to be like moving is the answer, but like for me it is. Like if I move just a little bit right before this podcast, I went for a 20 minute walk and it was like pouring rain outside. I was like, I don't care. I need to move because I need to, I need to, I need to flush it out. I need the fresh oxygen. I need, I agree. It's, it's, my body needs it. Not so much I need it, but my body does. Um, I also feel like it helps me get emotions moving. Like, I feel like whenever sadness gets stuck in me or, you know what I mean? Like there's lots of different ways to flush emotion, like crying and stuff like that. But I find a, a swift walk around the block does me wonders. Right. And, and to be honest, it's really hard to get going. And I fully like, I also think it's really okay that you did nothing for a while and just let yourself experience that. And like, you know, I'm not out here trying to claim that everybody needs to be going on these crazy runs or anything, but like even just walking around the apartment building. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't have time, but I can walk down to the mailroom, get a package and walk back. Like, And that's enough. Like that's, it truly is enough. Like, and it's, it's interesting because I know one of your questions that you, oh, hi, dog. Yes. He's <laughs> just jingling around. So I was like, picking him up is easier. I love that. We have to count your plants later. Remember? <laughs> yes. My husband's video where he like missed a bunch of them. <laughs> so good. I love that. But I know one of your questions was, what have I been curious about? Yeah. With my body and and it's been, you know, what is my body telling me? Because I went so long ignoring my body, like in, in every sense of the way. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to listen and I'm going to see what it's telling me and I'm going to experiment and I'm going to try different things. Like, and maybe it's as simple as, like you said, walking in the mailbox or something as simple as physically touching things. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm going to clean. Maybe, maybe that's my body needs something tactical to do. Maybe I'm going to write, maybe my hand, you know, my brain is needing to get stuff out. Like your brain is your body. Maybe you just need a sip of water. Like me, I I literally always need water. (laughs) I'm always dehydrated. So it's been, it's been totally experimental at this point, you know, learning to listen to my body and I feel like I'm still and will always be learning to accurately listen and accurately give my body like what it needs and it's so important like if you can give your body what it needs 
I'm, I don't want to be like, it's going to fix your life. Like it's going to change your life, but it's definitely going to impact it in a, in a pretty big way. Like, in, I think in all senses, in your confidence, in your social life, you know, in your physical activity, maybe it'll challenge you to do new things or maybe even just to slow down. I also think that there's like this moment that's really real for people where like, I remember when I first started yoga and somebody, some yoga teacher would always be like, just listen to your body. And if it wants rest, give it rest. If you want to go. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, how are you supposed to know? And I remember that feeling really frustrating to me. Yeah. And to be honest, I still, there are moments where I feel frustrated where I'm like, I don't know. Do I need rest? Do I need activity? I don't I, fucking know. <laughs> like, like, am I supposed to push through this pose or do I hit child's pose? Like, which, which is it? Is it the rest or is it the go? And I, I feel like that's something we all are going to continue to, you know, happily struggle with. I, I always hesitate saying struggle because life is, you know, a struggle, but a struggle is only a struggle if you name it that, or if you see it that way, you know, it could, it could just be, you know, your chapter and like what you're moving through. So it's, I don't like the word struggle. I think that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, I, I don't like that word. I think that you, I don't know, you look for help and you listen and you learn and you grow. Um, and any feel, exactly. And while you might feel that you're struggling, I, I think you're just growing. Oh, well, that's the truth. <laughs> and I think that if you're ever struggling to figure out like what, does feel right in your body honestly at some point I just try something yeah like well let's just try and see how that feels like sometimes I'll just come down to child's pose and be like do I feel at peace do I feel like I should have done more what I don't know at some point I think I really got into overthinking what my body needed I like would just become obsessed with trying to figure it out and at some point it's like go with your gut instinct and make the decision that you first thought of and just try it yeah you know like and eventually I do notice that my relationship with those yes and no signals inside my body has gotten stronger. Yeah. I think it's just becoming more aware and trying things. But I do remember being really annoyed at some yoga teachers in the beginning when they would tell me to listen to my body. I was like, that's like a fucking tall order. Like, could you make something a little more chill to do? I was like, I don't know. Like, that's a, that's a big ask. So just, yeah. Just people know that if that's hard for you, it's okay. It's hard for a lot of us. And that it gets easier the more aware I am with my body. Yeah. In like a pretty small way. like. Even over this quarantine, I've noticed I actually notice my thirst. Like, I'm usually too busy during the school day, to be honest, to ever think about being thirsty. I drink water because I, like, am forced to or I see my water bottle. I'm like, that's a good idea. But I don't notice thirst. And over this quarantine, because I've been a little bit more, like, sedentary, yeah. you know, I work, but it's like sitting on my laptop all day. Yeah. I, like, notice the thirst. And so I'm excited that that's another new body cue. I'm learning what that feels like. And I now I'm a little bit more aware of it. I don't think, you know, we little by little learn to feel those things. I'm going to nerd out for a second, but I read a book called The Female Brain. Have you read it or heard of it? It's by this medical doctor and she really like takes like a scary kind of like, you know, when you read like a medical book and it's like in this study, like 200 people from a sample and then you're like already lost. (laughs) It's 
she doesn't even go there. Like she puts all of that stuff in like the second half of the book. So right. if she were like actually researchly driven, you could see and check her facts, but she just summarizes everything that she studied and everything that's happened. And she is a brain. She studies the female brain and its differences between mm-hmm. a male brain. And she goes into all the hormones that affect us at every single stage of life and wow. it's been I think you should totally read it especially yeah. for the project that you're working yeah. on um it is it's crazy because you never think that like even as a little girl your hormones are way different from that of a little boy and mm-hmm. the way that they surge in certain times and the way that you're reacting to your environments like totally impacts you Wow. Because, um, you know, there's the whole nature versus nurture. Yeah. You know, in life. And this is definitely like nature is a huge part of it because there are hormone imbalances. And lots of people do have more hormone imbalances than others and, you know, are struggling with a lot more than, wow. you know, the quote, average person. And those just happen to be women. And a lot of that has to do with going through puberty and body stuff and everything from becoming sexually active to then, you know, as soon as you start carrying a child, like your hormones completely change. And then when the child leaves your body, your hormones completely change. And then just around the time when they leave the house, they change again. Wow. And it's, it's really interesting. You should definitely read it. And I think you should just definitely read it. <laughs> well, I would love to read it because I'm fascinated. Because yeah. to be honest, I'm not one of those people, I was never very aware of my body until I started mm-hmm. doing yoga. I was like, I don't know what I was doing. I just never thought about it. I never worried about it. I don't know. I just would like do really intense workouts and then do my life. I just thought that's what the deal was. And so only in the last few years have I started to notice like, oh, my boobs hurt certain times of the month. And I also feel like no one likes me. and I cry for no reason. Like I'm just... <laughs> started to like make some of those links to like that we really are in a cycle that like affects my experience of my emotions and my environment and I think that I just like kind of ignored it for a long time I think I just thought that like women were just complainers yeah and I, was like, I don't know why women are always complaining about things like let's just figure it out ladies well it's also interesting because and this is huge in you know this is huge with bodies especially but females can pick up a like facial expressions and body language like I forget the statistic but way more than men can like way more so that's why a guy can't tell when you're mad usually you know and if you're like oh he's not noticing that I'm being passive aggressive like he doesn't care it's like no he physically can't see it that's fascinating that's a total hormone body thing which I never knew, which honestly made me feel a lot better because I was like, I'm just. (laughs) It's another great example of not taking things personally. Exactly. Exactly. When we first got together, I thought that Kwesi was blatantly disrespectful by being super messy around the house. I just thought that he was just like, uh, you can clean it up. You know what I mean? I just thought in my mind, if I had done that, it would have been like, you can deal with my mess, you know, whatever. And so one day I played an experiment and I was like, not very nice about it for a very long time. And then finally I was like, you look around the room and tell me what you think needs to be cleaned or like rearranged. Like what's missed, what's out of place? No clue, Hayden. He said the weirdest things. I was like, 
and he's you know now we've lived together long enough that like he kind of knows how i like things and it's kind of like we've worked towards each other i no longer take it personally i think he's disrespectful he like has gotten better at it and i just have had to be a bit more explicit about what i want but i was so lost i was like that's that's hormones that's totally your hormones you don't see everything that's wrong with this room you don't see every like that candle out of place it doesn't what are you talking about <laughs> I was like, there's your jackets over there. And he's like, that's just a jacket. It's not where it goes. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's mine. Really? <laughs> what, are you blind? Anyway, I get it now, though, that, like, it's not personal. It's just the way his brain works. Exactly. It's just a different brain. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd hope that we would talk about during our time together? I mean, I feel like we pretty much covered it. Um, I, I wanted to talk about everything that we pretty much, we pretty much covered, um, I think just the biggest thing is this is obviously like, you know, you leave conversations like this so inspired and you're like, wow, this is great. <laughs> but urging whoever's listening to, you know, continue the conversation. And I think especially as women, like this is, we talked about it right at the beginning, but this is something that, you know, we, we should talk about. We should talk about with our, with our housemates. We should talk about it with our husbands. We should talk about it with, you know, our moms definitely like undercovering like uncovering not undercovering uncovering all that um and you know I definitely have some people that I think I want to you know keep this conversation going with um, mm -hmm. both for my benefit and for theirs and thank you for allowing this this awesome platform and you know safe space for discussion well of course and that's a beautiful challenge you know because I do think that in the end that is a goal, you know, is that this conversation keeps going amongst friends and amongst loved ones. And, and I think you hit on something really important too about talking to the women in our families, you know? We have a lot to learn from them. Like I have a lot I could be learning about the female experience from my mother and grandmother. And, you know, it's gonna be awkward at first, but I think if we trudge through, yeah, we can get some real beauty out of it. I think know? I think life is too short for service level conversations. <laughs> I mean, I, especially, you know, getting out of this quarantine, I hope that more people will realize that and there, there are like safe spaces, but there are also, you know, safe and beautiful, beautiful inside and out people that, you know, are willing to hear you out and, you know, share their thoughts and inspire you even more. Oh. Well, thank you so much. It's been lovely to get to know you better, too. Oh, so great. I can't wait to, like, hug you again. <laughs> I love you, too. That would be so great. You can find You and Your Body on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. For more info, check out my Facebook page, my Instagram, you and your bod pod, and my website, www.youandyourbodpod.com. Our artwork was provided by the incredible Amber Catford. Seriously, check out her Instagram. And our music by a dear friend, Cinnamon Sugar. It's truly been an honor. See you next week.